It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you so much for joining us here today. And a lot of folks out there working on the harvest, getting things done on a hazy sort of Monday. We are gangs all here as we get ready to go to talk about what's coming up in the next couple hours. Jason Jorgensen is in here to talk about sports. Bob Brogan. Also in here to talk about the business world, and we'll start things off with Susan Littlefield and Egg. Thanks so much. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. Brandon's going to kick everything off at 1219. We all know about the Big Ten conference decision to reverse course and play football this fall. As part of his chat with the Chancellor series, Brandon Bennett asks the UNL Chancellor, Ronnie Green, for the inside the locker room perspective of the how the decision came about. Then at 12.45, I will be talking with Megan Chanceau. She is talking about Farm Safety and Health Week that is underway. And then wrapping everything up at 1.17, BRD prevention. It's more than just a feedlot concern. That's a midday from the farm team. All right. Thanks a lot, Susan. I appreciate it. We turn it over to Jason Jorgens. And Jason, I didn't realize today is the 50th anniversary of Monday Night Football. That it is. That's crazy how much that's changed. Browns and Jets overnight. Good old Keith Jackson was on the call that night. Well, I was wondering who was the original. uh, Was Howard on yet? I don't believe so. I don't think he was either. But I do know a play-by-play was... Keith, Keith Jackson. Jackson. I think it might have been Keith Jackson and Frank Gifford. Okay. They decided to, you know, do what they did with the booth. Right. Uh, to me, that program lost all of its luster when they took it off of ABC mm-hmm. and they put it to ESPN. They also they don't get the top matchups like they, they used don't. to. The better matchups go to Sunday night football. So Sunday night football has replaced Monday night football, but yeah, fifty years ago. Now, if I remember right, at one point, the Oakland Raiders were the winningest team on Monday Night Football, so it's kind of curious. I don't know that they st- the Raiders still are, but they're on again tonight. Yes, they are. So the, the Vegas Raiders, which doesn't seem right. <laughs> so they're at all. Also, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the, the Husker schedule. A lot of <laughs> folks had some opinions on that over the weekend. After seeing many people tweet about this, who I, I greatly respect their opinions, I kind of fall somewhere down in the middle. Mm. Yes, that's lousy. The Big Ten did that. But, hey, the Huskers wanted to play in the schedule. It is what it is, and they were going to have to play Ohio State and Penn State anyway. So, But, but getting them and Wisconsin the first month of the season is, is petty. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> tough. And there wouldn't even be a schedule if it hadn't been from the pushback from Nebraska. Right, right, right. I don't know. It's going to be the big controversy for a while. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Bob Brogan. Stocks down pretty sharply today. They're just kind of bouncing down the stairs today, um, joining a global tumble for markets. Meanwhile, shares of some major banks tumbled before the market opened today, following a report alleging those including J.P. Morgan, HSBC and others continue to profit from illicit dealings with disreputable people and criminal networks. So those are some of the stories that we're keeping an eye on. All right, very good. That's all coming up on Midday. Let's turn it over to Clay Patton. Thank you, Scott. And now we go to Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics, for a check here of the midday market trade and a little bit more in-depth analysis. And Uh, Mike, I think maybe the best way to describe today's market trade is a traditional risk-off day, and that's where we see broad selling across the entire market complex. 
Yeah, I mean, the ag sector to me, Clay, is just another part of the bigger macro sell-off picture here. And it comes just when the ag sector was getting all bowled up. And over the weekend, I saw articles about beans in the teens. You know, here we are in the middle of harvest, and, and we just started to see some real serious headlines where, you know, kind of the technicals and the macro uncertainty were kind of getting pushed to the side at this point. I, you know, the, the question isn't whether it's the dollar and the crude oil and the gold and the silver that are leading this. I think commodity index funds, uh, you can see pretty clearly, are really lightening the load here. It's pretty easy to see this sharply higher five-week high in the U.S. dollar and the sh- uh, sharply lower metals and energy sector are the reason for the 1% to 3% losses in grains and about a 1% plus loss in livestock. But is it uh, a question? It's a question of why. And I think it's the, the, the news uh, bugs are talking about a COVID resurgence. I think that's got the European Union uh, right in the crosshairs. We see some currency price action there. Uh, I think it also has to do with the worsting conditions between the two biggest economies of the world, the U.S. and China, especially as we head into those U.S. elections. And I think the Supreme Court uh, crazy talk that's happened since Justice Ginsburg passed away by a lot of politicians probably woke some of the financial fears up. And I can see here on my ticker screen, obviously, there's been a resurgence in the U.S. dollar. But in these type of what what you alluded to, a traditional risk-off type market, where does money flow want to go? Where does it want to go in these times of uncertainty? Because gold and silver are also down today. Well, that's it. And I think this is where it's it's more of traditional risk-off in that it's a deflationary model. And it's a deflationary model where not even the metals or the equities are a situation where they think a safe haven is is in these assets. And so it's only one day of trade, but it makes the technicals extremely important now because we did kind of throw away the export inspections. We threw away the corn and uh, soy export sales reported this morning to China and uh, unknown. The fundamental bullishness is not coming in and getting traded. So I think it's really up to the technicals and charts and the momentum indicators. And I'll start with 1025 in lead month beans because that was our earlier uh, monthly high before last week's trade. In the livestock trade, of course, equities giving some pressure over to the cattle as well. But it looks like when we saw that little bit of a bump in the soybeans coming off of their lows, it gave some bump to those deferred lean hog contracts as well. I think that's right. I think this is where the Brazilian real is really playing a role. The dollar shot higher, gapped higher on a weekly chart against the Brazilian real this morning. We're now starting to fill that gap, and the dollar's weakening back up a little bit uh, against the real. So, again, the weekly U.S. dollar Brazilian real chart going to be a big player here, I think. In the livestock, uh, cattle weight still starting to slowly climb up. Cold storage reports out this week, cattle on feed report. Is there anything to glean possibly positive bullish news here? You know, I was really writing on the weekly copy about the U.S. dollar staying weak and that hurting our imports and helping our exports. And if the dollar shoots up, which what looks to be one of the best daily gains since June or July, and it continues on this path, you take that away. So maybe we're fairly priced right now, Clay, but that's all I can give you right now. Again, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, talking about what he's working up. If you'd like to see that firsthand, visit com. Mention the World Radio Network and get a two-week free trial of Mike's newsletter and analysis. That copy that he's working on right now, you could get a firsthand look at it because subscribers always get it before everyone else. Do remember, though, trading futures and options evolves risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. Very. 
11.43, time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here, and uh, we are hours away from the the autumnal equinox. Yes, uh, less than 24 <laughs> hours from now, fall will arrive. The first week of fall, though, is not going to feel like it. It's going to continue really? to feel like summer here for quite a while. Yeah, we had fall a couple weeks back. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> a gone late, back late fall to, weather yeah. there. <laughs> Boy, it's, but it is, uh, it, it, it is uh, hazy once again, and, and I know that's something you've been talking about for a while. Yeah, uh, we've been, that big ridge of high pressure off towards the western U.S., um, that's been helping really push a lot of this smoke into our area. And then, of course, just the prevailing westerly winds do that. Sure. And, you know, the, yeah, a lot of the smoky haze been, has been as far east in the United States as uh, New York. And I wow. think I've heard mentions of as far east as Europe, even some of this well, stuff making it. You know, you think about it over that way. We talked about the dust from the Sahara, you yeah. know, coming this way that we're sending the smoke back. It's. <laughs> It is. It's just crazy. The nights just look like. I mean, it looks like it's a fire just down the road. Exactly because yeah, a lot of times that sun actually sets earlier because it gets to a certain point in the horizon you don't even see it anymore. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. And that 2020, hap- 2020. <laughs> especially, and that happens in the morning too. You know, it takes a while for it to actually become That's brighter. True. Now today we had the cloud cover holding that back, but once these clouds do clear out of the region, we're going to go back to those hazy conditions. Mm, crazy. Those clouds this morning, thanks to some rain, those rains currently over portions of central Nebraska and northeast Nebraska, some light activity between Ord and Loop City, and then some light activity also towards the Spalding and Albion area. It does pick up a little more in the way of some rain and thunderstorm activity in northeast Nebraska towards the North Polk and Tilden area. That rain gradually moving off towards the east and maybe encountering a few sprinkles this morning to the south of Broken Bow and also in between Gothenburg and Kozad to Farnham and to the southwest of North Platte. Otherwise, those temperatures starting to warm up to mainly the upper 60s to the low 70s. Once again, some haze expected today from the wildfires across the western U.S., including newly developed fires that are now occurring in southern Wyoming and northern Colorado, so a little bit closer on the potential for some smoke movement into our area. Visibility at times, especially as you go more to the west, may drop to five miles. A ridge of high pressure over the central U.S. will keep it sunny and dry this week. Temperatures through Friday expected to be about 10 to 15 degrees warmer than normal, despite the first uh, day of fall arriving for tomorrow. A weak cold front on Friday night will drop those temperatures back to seasonal levels in the 70s for the weekend, but it's not going to last a whole long time. In behind that front, there is a small chance of some rain or thunderstorms for Saturday into Saturday night. Right now, it does not appear to be a widespread or significant weather maker. If we do see any rain, any rain amounts will be light. In the latest long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures forecast to be seasonal to slightly warmer than normal for this weekend through the first four days of next month. The warmest air, though, just off to our west across the western third of the U.S., the mainly dry outlook of below normal rainfall is likely this weekend through the 4th of October in Nebraska, Kansas, and the rest of the western and central U.S., so all the way through October 4th, mainly dry weather and seasonal to slightly above normal temperatures. Key weather factors in the markets include mostly dry weather for harvest in the central U.S. and varying amounts of rain for South America. Tropical Storm Beta will continue to result in elevated water levels from the western Gulf Coast. 
Beta's primary threat, the potential for some heavy rains of 5 to 10 inches from the middle Texas coast into southern Louisiana. Later in the week, rain associated with the remnants of Beta should move farther inland across the southeast U.S. Many other areas of the U.S., though, will be dry this week over the next five days. For the Midwest and Northern Plains, the dry weather the next three days will continue to favor crops ripening and progress for harvest. The eastern Midwest will see rain from the remnants of Tropical Storm Beta the last half of the week. Southern Plains crop areas will be warm and dry this week. Wheat weather that's favorable for their winter wheat planting and germination. Drought expected to expand in coverage the next three months for both the southern and northern plains. Central Brazil will see mainly light rain this week. That's expected to delay widespread soybean planting until late this month, and that's at the earliest due to concern over the beginning of the rainy season. Usually that central Brazil rainy season starts around September 26th in just a few days. Okay. All right. A rainy season. I've, I've heard of yeah. those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> seems, you know, that high pressure that's that's dominating is not allowing any of that, that moisture coming up from the tropics either, you, right? No. You know, we had that one system uh, towards Labor Day. Right. And otherwise, it's been dry last month and this month here. Yeesh. All right. Very good. Thank you, Paul. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. This weekend is the junk jaunt, and we've got an extra reason to go junkin'. The KRVN 2020 Blazer will be at Junction 211 on Friday from 9 until 11, taking your registrations to win as you make your way down the junk trail. That's this Friday, 9 to 11, at the junction of Highway 2 and 11. See you there. On Wednesday of last week, the Big Ten Conference reversed course and announced there would be football played in the Big Ten this fall. Brandon Bennis with the Rural Radio Network, and as part of my Chat with the Chancellor series, I had the opportunity to sit down with UNL Chancellor Ronnie Green and get an inside-the-locker-room perspective, so to speak, on how that reversal of decision came about. Well, Brandon, it was an exciting week uh, to be able to announce earlier this week that we're returning to competition for our football programs across the Big Ten on October 23rd, 24th, that weekend now a little more than a month away. I think all of your listeners will remember very well back in the summer as we were planning toward what a competition season could look like, that originally there had been some initial plans to move forward with a season of 10 conference-only Big Ten games that would have started on September 5th. So we would have already been in that season under that earlier plan. That was postponed initially. The thought was that it would be postponed to after the first of the year, so pushing into 2021 for a potential season for football and other fall sports. But after that decision was made, which was made on the basis of feeling prepared to be able to have safety protocols around our student-athletes and staff and coaches and game management, I just did not feel across the conference that we were able to have that in place to be able to move forward with the season. We went to work. We went to work with our medical teams, with our athletic directors, with our coaches to study how we could move forward and whether we could do that sooner to be able to return to competition. So that process culminated over this last week 
with medical recommendations that came forward to provide a safe and clean field for competition for our 14 institutions to be able to move forward with that season with the most extensive testing protocol and safety protocol around our teams and their support staff to be able to do that. So we're very pleased to be able to be in that position. You know, I I know our folks here in Nebraska have known and heard us say that, as Coach Frost said, that we were prepared and ready to move forward with the season on the original proposed schedule. Not everyone was in the conference. And so uh, we now are at that position, and I'm excited for our student-athletes and for our football program in particular to be able to move forward here in just, you know, literally uh, a little more than a month's time for that opening weekend of, of Big Ten competition. So excited about it. We have a lot of work to do now to be ready and be prepared for those first games. We're looking forward to the schedules being out that we know what we'll be doing with uh, six divisional games and two crossover games that will make up that regular season plus new addition of a sort of a playoff game that will be at the end of the season where the matchups across divisions 2-2, 3-3, 4-4, 5-5, 6-6. Teams will play each other in a new kind of twist for the season for that ninth game of the season. So excited for our players. I know there's been a long road to get here and all of the uncertainty of COVID-19 of would we be able to play or how might we be able to play and what would that look like to have that now laid out and a path forward um, is just a very good place to be and I'm happy for them and really anticipating being able to move forward here very shortly. That was UNL Chancellor Ronnie Green talking about the process on how the Big Ten decided to reverse course and allow football this fall. With the Rural Radio Network, this is Brandon Bennett. It is 12.28 here at KRV, now 12.29. Tyler Cavalli, Ellen Simmons along with you. And, well, Ellen, how was the uh, the weekend? It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Good, great weather. Well, and it's going to continue that way. It looks like we're going to have some uh, a little bit above average temperatures, about 5 to 10 degrees. Mm-hmm. But personally, me, I'm not complaining. But, again, <laughs> it's easy for me to say being inside the studio. I, I am ready for sweater weather. <laughs> you are? I okay. Am. Well, you know, it's starting to feel that way. Those Friday night games, doing high school football, you kind of get that, that yeah, gist. It, so. Once the sun goes down, it kind of gets chilly. <laughs> it does. All right. Very good. Well, what do you have for us here in KRVN News? Well, as time is nearly up to complete the U.S. Census, nonprofits through Nebraska are making a final push to ensure all residents are counted. Hannah Young, public policy manager for the Nonprofit Association of the Midlands, says... Getting an accurate count will mean enough federal tax dollars returned to Nebraska for critical programs and services. The Trump administration recently ordered the Bureau to wrap up work by September 30th, citing the need to deliver final numbers to Congress by their December 31st deadline. That move was temporarily blocked recently by a federal court. Young agrees it's important to deliver the data to Congress on time, but it also worried that not counting hard-to-reach groups, including children younger than five, seniors, and communities of color, would put additional stress on programs all Nebraskans rely on for the next decade. We don't get another attempt at this for 10 years, and the fact that we have to wrap up a month early now is really concerning because those who are going door-to-door and knocking and doing the census face-to-face, they have gotten their time slashed due to COVID. 
The Census Bureau recently estimated nearly 90% of Nebraskans have participated in the head count, a couple of percentage points ahead of the national average. An attorney for a white business owner who was charged in the fatal shooting of a black man during civil unrest in Nebraska says the man has died by suicide. Police say Jacob Gardner's body was found Sunday outside a medical clinic in Hillsborough, Oregon, and attorney Stu Dornan said it was a suicide. Gardner was charged Tuesday in the death of James Skurlock. Police say 38-year-old Gardner shot Skurlock during a protest outside Gardner's bar in downtown Omaha on May 30th. Gardner had said the shooting was done in self-defense. Dornan says Gardner was scheduled to return to Omaha on Sunday to face the charges against him. In today's data-driven world, cybersecurity becomes more important than ever. The opening of the new 90,000-square-foot Discovery Hall on the campus of the University of Nebraska at Kearney has allowed a dedicated facility for the campus' newest academic programs, Cyber Systems. Aaron Pearson, Communications and Recruitment Specialist for the College of Business and Technology at UNK, discusses the benefits of the new additions to Discovery Hall, the mini data center. This is where our students, especially with cybersecurity, are able to do defensive and offensive security, whether that's hacking or attacks of any sort, they're able to practice. Also, what's really neat is that this isn't connected to the UNK server at all, so this is all by itself. So as they manipulate, it doesn't affect the exterior or any of the other students or faculty or campus in general. So we have students that build the networks, they're administrators, they are able to get their hands on the cables and the equipment that they would need to learn. And it's really built for students to be able to get their hands on it and be able to manipulate and, and do it safely. Located on the West Campus at UNK, the brand new three-story Discovery Hall features classrooms and office space for the newly created Cyber System program and 12 other academic departments. Well, you can find more news at krvn.com. Thank you very much, Ellen. Every farmer counts, and taking a 10-second shortcut could change yours and everybody else around you's life forever. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. This week just happens to be National Farm Safety and Health Week, and the theme, Every Farmer Counts. Megan Chasso is the Outreach Coordinator through the University of Minnesota's School of Public Health and part of the Upper Midwest Agricultural Safety and Health Center. She talks about how they're reminding producers not to take those quick shortcuts. I've heard a lot of those stories, and I've experienced it myself on our farm, but Something that we started doing and saying is um, it's called Stop, Think, Act. We actually borrowed it from some folks up in Canada, but it's a really nice reminder for, you know, myself, for any farmers, anyone working on the farm, especially seasonally, before you do something that's, you know, maybe higher risk or, you know, you're thinking about shaving off those 10 seconds to just stop and think because that really is one of the key preventative, you know, messages we have is, you know, people are trying to save a few seconds to no fault of their own, and that can really just turn out poorly. You you look at that. What type of education are, are you guys doing uh, through the University of Minnesota and with other universities and folks all across the Midwest to get the word out about being safe? Yeah, we're physically based here in Minnesota, but we're the Upper Midwest Agricultural Safety and Health Center. So we are the sister, a sister center of CS Cash down in Nebraska. And so some of the things that we're doing, it's looking really different this year because we're not doing as much face-to-face. But what it looks like is, you know, having conversations with, you know, 
folks on the radio just like this, all of the, the trusted people on the farm. So we do a lot of work with, you know, your local extension. Um, we have resources. One of my favorite is called the Farm Safety Check. So a lot of what we do is getting those resources into the right hands. So it can be really overwhelming to think about all of the areas on a farm that might be dangerous and having a tool that just breaks them down and gives you, you know, actionable items to check through is really helpful. So those are a few of the ways that we we help get the messaging out and help to say folk, help folks really go home at the end of the day healthy so that they can do it again, you know, next day. Let's talk about that checklist. What are some things that we need to think about? Yeah, I mean, it depends on your activity, but especially as we're moving into harvest, a few of the areas that I've been talking about a lot um, is going to be thinking about the marking and lighting on your machinery. So one of the first things we all learn in driver's ed is defensive driving. So we really can only control our own driving. So making sure inside of farm equipment, especially that we're seeing. So checking on the lights, um, any of those reflective markings, the slow-moving vehicle emblems. It's really important because, you know, the days, I don't like to say it, but the days are getting shorter. And so making sure that you can be seen when that traffic really ramps up. Um, and just being mindful, especially with things like left turning left in any kind of lane. Something else that's, you know, really important this year is that there are a lot more kids at home. And... You know, whether kids are in full-time school, if they're at home, for the most part, we're seeing more kids on the farm. So um, making sure they have a specific area where it's like, this is your play area. That's what we're designating this for so that they don't get wrapped up in some of the, the really busy fall activities. So those are a couple of the really big ones. And, you know, ATVs and UTVs are big everywhere, but I, I know they are in Nebraska as well. Um, so for the most part, those are not supposed to be on roads. And it's really just that that's how they're designed is they're designed to be in fields, field roads, things like that. Um, so making sure folks are wearing helmets, um, you know, that they're, they're size, right? There's some of the really important ones, I think, as we go into harvest, um, especially. Well, and reminding folks, because I mean, just right now I can hear. A, a tractor going down our gravel road and mm-hmm. and we know that they're out on the roads it's dusty because many areas haven't received the rain and it's to remind i think not only the the farmers but more importantly those folks that are driving on the roads that aren't involved in agriculture that this equipment's out there absolutely and it's it's super seasonal so i think it's easy to to get in your pattern of having less farm traffic on the road but you know, it really is going to be picking up. So giving those reminders to anybody that might be in a rural area um, because, you know, depending on the area, you might have hills, you might have, you know, narrow roads. And so it can be easy to really sneak up on this equipment. So um, keeping that in mind anytime you're going anywhere, especially especially this time of year. It's, it's sickening uh, this time of year because it happens every year folks are in a hurry as you talked about that 10 seconds and it's jumping in those grain bins yeah absolutely we have seen just a really big jump in grain bin incidents the past few years kind of all over the place with the upper midwest especially and part of that is because we've had you know we've had crazy weather and so grain has gone in you know wet perhaps or facilities maybe are leaking 
And that out-of-condition grain is typically what draws people inside a grain bin in the first place. We will hear more tomorrow from Megan Shasso. She will be talking about farm safety, grain bins, and women's ag health. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks have been falling sharply in trading on Wall Street today, joining a global tumble for markets. Losses began in Asia and accelerated in Europe on worries about the possibility of tougher restrictions on public life due to rising coronavirus counts. Shares of some major banks tumbled before the market opened today, following a report alleging those including J.P. Morgan, HSBC, Standard Chartered Bank, Deutsche Bank, and others continued to profit from illicit dealings with disreputable people and criminal networks, despite being previously fined for similar actions. According to the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, leaked government documents show that the banks continued moving illicit funds, even after U.S. officials warned they'd face criminal prosecutions if they didn't stop doing business with mobsters, fraudsters, or corrupt regimes. The head of an electric truck startup that's partnering with GM has resigned amid accusations of making false representations about the company's technology. Shares in Arizona-based Nikola were off some 35% in pre-market trading today. The company said late Sunday that founder and executive chairman Trevor Milton was stepping aside. The economic recovery remains uncertain, incomplete, and uneven in the 19 countries that use the euro currency. That was the assessment today from the head of the European Central Bank, Christine Lagarde. She told an assembly of French and German lawmakers that the rebound is underway, but she said its course will be determined by how successful countries are in containing the virus. Infection numbers have been rising in recent days across Europe. The ECB is pumping 1.35 trillion euros, or about $1.6 trillion, into the economy in the form of bond purchases. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. The World Health Organization has described the significant spike in coronavirus cases across Europe as a wake-up call. But Italy, the original Western ground zero of COVID, has something to be excited about as they've come up with a possible way to keep people moving and safe at the same time. Alitalia, the national carrier, is offering two daily COVID-free flights between Rome and Milan. Rapid tests will be offered at Rome's Fiumicino Airport so passengers can get their results before boarding. Alternatively, they can bring test results no longer than 72 hours old to prove they are healthy. I'm really grateful I was able to do it because it makes me feel safer knowing that there are people like me that got tested before the flight and so we are all negative. For once, maybe for the first time, I'm sure I am surrounded by people who can't give me coronavirus. This could be the wave of the future if this sort of trial with the Rome-Milan flights proves a success. This could also be a way to give flagging airlines a boost. Amy Kellogg, Fox News. Learn more about the importance of BRD prevention. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Bovine respiratory disease is most often thought of as a stalker and feedlot operation, but it also should be given to mind to our cow-calf producers. 
Dr. Daniel Cummings is a professional service veterinarian at Boehringer Ingelheim who says it's important to put together a plan for preventing and managing BRD. Without a plan, the costs associated with respiratory disease in cattle can be high. We recognize that pneumonia respiratory disease is the leading cause of death in calves three weeks of age or older. Research has demonstrated that. But the ultimate loss of profitability or production is associated with less weight at weaning. So we tend to see calves can weigh anywhere uh, around 36 pounds less at time of weaning than their healthy counterparts. And so the effects of that have to do with decreased performance, uh, decreased consumption, or you know, if they start grazing, they're just not as active and not as efficient as a healthy calf would be. And he says that cows with BRD will likely struggle to reproduce effectively and will be called from their herd quicker than healthier cattle. Cummings says it's important to develop a multifaceted approach to BRD. That would include solid nutrition, vaccination programs, consulting with your veterinarian to develop that vaccination program that is going to best suit your operation for the risks that are associated with disease on that farm. And that varies by region, can vary by farm. Nutrition and vaccination to also boost colostrum. I think we recognize the importance of colostrum for fighting that disease off early on in life. And so colostrum is critical and we have an opportunity to enhance both the quantity and, and the quality of colostrum through vaccination in a solid nutrition program which also involves trace minerals and understanding the important role of trace minerals and immunity. And of course, there's other important steps as well in planning low-stress handling and controlling of parasites, both of which help improve the animal's vaccination response. Other tips include testing for and removing any infected calves, as well as promptly and properly diagnosing and treating calves with signs of BRD. But Cummings talks about the tools that producers can use in this diagnosis. He recommends that a known as a DART method. The D would be for depressions. When a calf has pneumonia or respiratory disease, we know it'll have droopy ears, maybe hold its head down, or be lethargic. The second would be appetite. Calves that are sick are, are going to be slower to come to the bunk and have a reduced appetite. And one of the things that's critical to recognize there is calves want to be with their herd mates. And so they might be in the group coming to the bunk, but we really got to watch for them. Are they actually eating? The third leg of that would be respiration. So looking for abnormal breathing patterns and so that would be increased respiratory effort. And the bottom line is that we want to be able to recognize when that calf is struggling to breathe. And that's really what we're looking for, an increased respiration rate, increased effort. And then finally, temperature. And the normal temperature in the bovine is going to be around 102 degrees Fahrenheit. And so any deviation, especially above that, would be considered fever and a response to an infection. And so we see temperatures around 104, 105. We start to recognize that there might be an infection and that could be a criteria for diagnosing BRDs. And there is a treatment recommendation that should cover all four bacterial pathogens that cause BRD. The four main ones we see are Menhami hemolytica, Pastorella multocida, Histophilus somni, and Mycoplasma bovis. And so we want to choose an antibiotic that covers those four pathogens. And we would like for that antibiotic to get there quickly, reach lung levels where the site of infection is at a rapid rate, but also have some extended activity in that site so that the animal can recover and, and we can see lung healing and those sort of things when our antibiotic is used appropriately. Those comments with Dr. Dan Cummings as we talk BRD. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
Clay Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's check in with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. And John, a general risk-off atmosphere across the entire market complex, but some really interesting dynamics starting to shape up towards the end of the week. What are those and how could they impact the grains? Well, it's the move we've seen in the last month, you know, has taken a lot of options. It's, it's, don't mean to get too technical here, but a lot of option contracts that are at lower price levels that are going to have to be met here with buys have now gone in the money. A lot of those folks are speculators. So in my opinion, you've seen a lot of the big open interest push come because of that. And that's where we... Check the latest ag media research. The best ag station in the nation. 880 KRVN. KRVN's News Center and Fox News. Always in touch. 880 KRVN. KRVN is on YouTube. Now streaming video on demand. Subscribe to KRVN Radio on YouTube for news, weather, agriculture reports, and more. Like we saw today, and then the year all really, um, a lot of the foreign currencies are going to follow. So you want to see strengthening in, in the real, you want to see strengthening in the Argentinian peso, and you want to see strengthening in the Russian ruble. That's uh, beans and corn in South America, and then wheat up in, uh, in the Black Sea. Uh, those are your com- competitors. And then, of course, the euro as well. The latest ag media research proves that more producers in 105 counties of Nebraska and Kansas are getting their ag information from 880 KRVN and the Rural Radio Network than from all other stations combined. Thank you for keeping us number one. 880 KRVN. I'm Clay Patton inviting you to take a productive visit to KRVN Cattlemen. 100% beef oriented. KRVN Cattlemen brings you expertise from across the plains in audio and video spotlights featuring industry innovators. Handy Nebraska, Kansas, and cattle resources, including the inventory, cattle on feed, and slaughter numbers you need. Plus, hay reports for five states. You'll find a complete directory of upcoming auctions and private treaty sales. Gentlemen, on the right front column of the homepage at KRVN. Well, that'll wrap up midday here on KRVN. We apologize for the technical issues that we had with Clay and John Payne for the dropouts. They're not exactly sure what happened there, but uh, we'll try to get that figured out for next time. But again, we apologize for the technical issues. Again, as always, if you miss anything during midday, you can listen to the Midday Podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors on KRVN.com and also on iTunes.